Psalm 119. And I'll be reading the whole psalm, but not really. Um, I'll be reading uh, verses 1 through um, 8 of Psalm 119. Verses 1 through 8, Psalm 119. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Uh, Mining gold uh, from Psalm 119. And I want to say at the outset that I am... Uh, deeply dependent upon a former um, miner, uh, one by the name of uh, Dave Palliston, for uh, his work on Psalm 119 that really has helped me to figure out how to meander through the tunnels of this mine and see uh, more of the beauty that God has for us here. We're thankful uh, for the saints that have gone before us. Now, what do you think about Psalm 119. Perhaps you just learned this evening that I'll be preaching about what went through your minds. Are you somewhat intimidated when you find in your Bible reading plan, today is the day you read Psalm 119. Do you find that difficult? What you think and even what you feel about Psalm 119 will influence if you read it and also how you read it. It is, after all, very long. It can be wearisome. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is the approximate same length um, as the book of Ruth, uh, the book of James, the book of, of, uh, of Philippians. It is long. Um, it is somewhat uh, repetitive. I mean, how many different ways can you talk about God and His Word? 176 verses here. You might think of it as monotonous. I had the opportunity to drive with my daughter uh, from Pittsburgh to, um, to Colorado this past summer. And uh, Jackie and I were driving together. First time we've had two days together since forever. Uh, one of the things that I mentioned as we're driving uh, westward through the heartland of our country is that Ohio equals Indiana equals Illinois um, equals Missouri equals Kansas. I mean, I didn't see much of a difference at all over that thousand miles through those states. You might have the same impression when you're reading of Psalm 119. It just seems like it's more of the same thing. What am I... What am I really supposed to be getting out of it? We do know that it's not random. 
We do know that uh, this book has, has 22 sections, one for each of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet. There are eight lines in each one of those sections, and each one of the beginnings of each of those lines in each section is with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet successively through uh, to the end of the alphabet. It certainly would help a, a, a Jewish boy who was studying up for his bar mitzvah uh, to be able to, to have that device to help him to memorize the psalm, but that really doesn't do much for us. We do know that it's important. It's the importance of reading God's word, of memorizing it, of meditating on it, and yet it also seems kind of impossible. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Really? Is that what's going on in your heart, consumed with longing for God's rules at all times? You can feel kind of of threatened by it, certainly burdened. We're not there yet. Now, you may think of a gem or two in Psalm 119 that you sort of gravitate to when you're looking. I think of verse 11. In fact, I can still hear it in a Maine accent. The the church that we attended in Maine when I was growing up and summering on the coast of Maine, First Baptist Church in Rockland, we always had, I'm not sure if it's during the service or Sunday school or what it might have been, but we always recited that verse. And so this is what I hear. Uh, Thy word have I hid in my hat that I might not sin against thee. That's what I hear all the time. And that, I know what Psalm 119 says, and he can even say it in a main accent. Maybe you've, got, maybe you've got things like that, too. Dave Pallison hooked me, though. He hooked me um, on, um, uh, with a question, and it, and, and it was this. What words are most often repeated in Psalm 119? What words are most often repeated? And you might say, well, that's an easy one. The words that refer to God's word. Word, testimony, precepts, judgments, statutes, law. And those are the words that you might gravitate to as you're reading the psalm. But, but, in, but actually, there is another cluster of words that occurs even more frequently than those. In fact, it's not even close. There's another cluster of words that appear four times more frequently than those various words for God's law, His commandment, His words. And they are are first-person singular references. I, me, mine along with second-person singular designations. You, your, and yours. This is by far the longest I-you, I-you conversation in all of the scriptures. And it calls us, it actually teaches us how, how to develop in that, in that I-you conversation greater honesty with God, um, greater intimacy with God, uh, and even pleading with God. Now, as we we saw uh, reading this first seven uh, verses, the first eight eight verses in Psalm 119, you may have noticed 
that in verses 1, 2, and 3, there is talk about people, there is talk about God, and there is talk about His Word. Verse 2, for an example, blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. In, in these three um, verses, there is talk about God, about us, and about God's Word. But then verse 4 sets us up for the rest of the psalm. You have commanded your... Pre- now it's you. Now this is where the conversation starts. Now, And you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. The psalmist is now saying, you are the one who has all authority and I am your man. I am in every respect under your authority, thankful for it, and seeking an intimate relationship with you uh, as my God. And so from verses 5 through 176, through all of the verses in the rest of this mammoth song, with, with perhaps one or two exceptions, it is talking, the psalmist is leading us to talk to God, not about Him. Do you hear the difference? To talk to God and not about Him. And He's opening His heart to us so that we would learn to follow Him and deal with God as honestly as the psalmist does. So he's, he's urging us to develop love for God, delight in his commands, a desire to obey. He is also pleading, helping us to plead with God when we're facing troubles in our life. Help me get through it. These are honest words of someone who's not just trying to get the Bible in him. It is the passionate response of one in whom God already lives by His Spirit. And the Spirit is producing in Him, as well as in us, a more intimate relationship with God. So, what I'm going to do, starting tonight and then continuing next, next Sunday night, is to look at four strands, that would be eight, four strands of teaching through, first, uh, through, this, uh, through this psalm. Not just working through the psalm in a methodical way, but, but looking instead, looking for where similar phrases and ideas are carried out that we can understand more of the psalmist's heart and understand more of what he's getting at. And this is the first one. There, the first strand is, you are, you say, you do. What God, what God is saying to us. You are, you say, you do. The second one, and we're only going to do two of these tonight, the second one is, is, and I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time down here. There is evil in my heart. And there's evil outside that attacks me, and it's really hard to, up, to uphold your law in this kind of world. So you are, you do, you say, and I need help. The, the, the third and the fourth, or, or I'm struggling. And the third one is help me. The many different ways and times in which the psalmist says help me. And then finally, number four is, if we can borrow a language from Martin Luther, here I stand, committed, uh, grounded on God's person and on God's word, because I know that he exists. 
He met me in my struggling as I say, help me, so here I stand. So we'll start then tonight. First strand, you are, you say, you do. This is speaking, speaking of God, um, and speaking rather to God. You are, you say, you do. Now, it is a good thing when we confess the Apostles' Creed here on Sunday mornings, as we from time to time do. It is important for us to be grounded in unchanging doctrinal truth. And this is the basic, of course, basic teaching of, of the church and has been since the early, since the early um, centuries of the church. But this is different. This is a different way of confessing God as displayed in Psalm 119. Uh, we are speaking directly to God, not about him. You are the creator. You are the sovereign ruler. You are the wise one in whom my soul rests. What you say is truly beautiful. Your commands, your laws are lovely and I love them. You are fully worthy of my love and my devotion. There are a couple of different clusters of how the psalmist even thinks about God. One of them is is how wisely God arranges our lives. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. I am your servant. I am yours. I praise my God because of the way he has arranged my life, your lives. Your hands have made me and fashioned me. I am your servant. I am yours. Another way that the psalmist looks at God is is you are merciful. Speaking to God, you are merciful. You are good and do good. I can remember... (laughs) One of you could probably help me. There was a great father in the church who preached this passage upon the funeral of his wife. And the points of his sermon were... You were good to me when you, took, when you gave her to me, and you were good to me when you took her from me. Able, able to say, in whatever the circumstances, I trust that you are good. And so the Spirit, as we recite these words, you are good, and you do good, you comfort me, you answered me. These are the way we respond to God's mercy. And as we do so, the Spirit shapes our heart and gives us hope in our situation. You see, this is not information about the Bible. It is not information about God. It is instead speech therapy for people who stutter. Speech therapy for people who don't know how to talk well. The words get stuck in their mouths. And God says, hear here is what, who I am and what I am, and here is how you respond to me. And so we learn to pay attention to all the different words for God's word that we say. And there are generally, I guess you could say, eight different of these words that are listed throughout the Psalms. And each one appears approximately 22 times uh, through the course of the Psalm. We think, let me just, let me just list them and say so, uh, just a bit about each one. The first is God, God's word. Um, um, that, that is everything that God, God talks about. It includes his commands, but also his promises. It includes his stories. The stories of how he worked in a Ruth, 
uh, to save not only herself and her and her mother-in-law, but to to save actually the people of God through her faithfulness. Um, it, he speaks also as Creator. And if he speaks as creator, we take that word and we trust it. And we say, God knows what he's doing. And despite the chaos that we see going around us in our world, as as Pastor Church mentioned this morning, in the areas of marriage and sexuality, God, God is so wise. He is so good. That's his word. But his law is somewhat similar to that word, but it more stresses his authority that we must obey. But this is, even this is not a law code, rules that are disconnected from our Father's heart and his rule for us, over us. We, we obey God's will. To obey God's will is to love well because you are loved well. No, simple way of putting it. To, uh, to obey God's will is to love well because you are loved well. And then there are God's judgments. God evaluates things in his wisdom. He sees what is best for image bearers and how we are to live. So, of course, of course, his rules and his wisdom inspires trust in us. And then testimony, uh, everything to which he bears witness. Precepts, those are de- God's details for living. And statutes, those are the ones that he's, the words that he's written down, perhaps on, on the two uh, tablets or perhaps on our hearts. And then generally those commands, God's revealed will, he gives, knows what gives the best shape to our lives. All of these things paint a picture of the world from God's point of view and we trust his wisdom and we love the beauty of holiness. All of that, all of that is, is you, yours, your. It is worship. It is, it is a Godward direction. See that thread uh, throughout the psalm. The second thread, the second strand of teaching in Psalm 119, though, is, is now it's about me. It's about you. I, or we, the psalmist, we're struggling it's hard living here, waiting for heaven. It's difficult. We're learning, though, to be honest about what is in our heart. Honest about our own evil and about the evil that's around us. It is learning to be honest with the struggles that we have. And not just being stoical about it. Following his example. We'll see what he means in, in these two areas. The evil that arises within you, all right? That's the first evil. The evil that is resident in our own hearts that arises, uh, the, the bad within, if we want to put it that way. And certainly the light of God's word exposes your inner darkness. There is something desperately wrong with us. We do, on the one hand, love God's law. We love its beauty. We love holiness. If we are children of God in whom the Spirit indwells. But also within us there is a perverse desire to do what God forbids, and that is insanity. And that's where we are, each one of us. We love what is good, but we also at times love what we want, even if it is, an, it is a contrary to God's commands. We love that. And that's a perversion. And we deal with that. 
this self-awareness really should lead us to greater honesty and humility. It can be frightening, but it should also lead us to honesty and humility. Now, the bookends of this psalm really give us a great opportunity to look at this in a little bit more depth. Um, Notice, if you will, um, at the end of this first section that we read, I will keep your statutes. And then there's this phrase, do not utterly forsake me. I will keep your statutes. But by the way, God, do not utterly forsake me. And then, and then at the very, at the very end of the psalm, something, something similar there. Uh, the, the psalm concludes, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. After all of this talk about God's law and the beauty of it, I've gone astray. I, I'm like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Come after me, spirit. Rescue me. Capture me. You see, we've just read verses 1 through 4 about the promise that God gives, the blessings for obedience. And, 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 and immediately the psalmist is struck by the fact that this is God's ideal for me, but I don't, I don't reach it. But, but the psalmist refuses to dumb down God's holiness. He refuses to excuse himself. He is going to look boldly and flat straight into the face of God, recognize what God is calling him to do, and then look at himself and say, don't toss me out. Don't utterly forsake me. He is an honest struggler. His sins grieve him. His sins threaten him. And he says in various places in the psalm, will you, will you forsake me? Will I give up and wander away? Stresses in this life, in my, the evil in my own heart. Am I going to be able to hang on? Or will I wander away? Will iniquity rule me? Will iniquity in my own heart have the last word? Will I be accursed by death or blessed by life? All of these things display in the psalmist's heart a bracing honesty with God. He's so right and holy and good. But we see in our own heart and, and, and it disturbs us. And so, he, so he, he is undone before the holiness and the righteousness of God. The second The second part of this uh, is the evil that comes at you. Uh, We are afflicted by others. We are oppressed by others. The psalmist speaks about people mocking him or persecuting him with lies. And he says, I'm, I'm, uh, it's like I'm a stranger here, and how long can I hang on? These are all the things that are coming, not, not any longer coming out of him, but coming at him from the world. And it's a struggle. Not because you forget that people are evil, but because you remember that God is good. We've been focusing in recent months here about the goodness and the steadfast love of God. And if that's true, then how come I'm suffering the way that I am? Life is hard and hurtful, and people are cruel and calloused. That's the evil that is coming at me. Turn with me to the center of the psalm, uh, verse 81, and following. Um, Paul, uh, Paul uh, the psalmist deals with this in this section. 
right in the middle of the psalm, verses, 80, uh, verses 81 to 88. Um, this, this is as bleak as Psalm 119 gets. And it's really the, the only place where there is a, a, a section of multiple verses that are, that are dealing with the same thing. And it is as bleak as Psalm 88, just not as long as Psalm 88, not, not these verses here. But it is a low point of, in this book, and there's, there's no other place like this lament anywhere else in this psalm. Listen, listen to these words. I'll pick it up at verse, at verse 84. How long... Must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. This is unrelenting suffering. He is describing his own weakness, his own distress, his desperation. But then we see that his honest cries give way to God-affirming faith. Look, look with me at verse, at verse 88 uh, and, and following there. Uh, you're in your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in heaven. One thing that will not change. God's word is firmly fixed in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. What else can help you endure in the face of of the trouble that comes from outside of you, that comes at you, in whatever form it takes in your life? What else can hold you up than to know that God's faithfulness never changes, that His Word is always true? And, and then this word in, in, verse, in verse 49, By your appointments they stand this day, for all things are your servants. All things that God brings into your life and mine. How else can you survive? All of them are God's servants to bring about a humbling in my own heart, a purifying of my own heart, and a life and a love for God that transcends the garbage that's around us in this world. All things are your servants. So, how do we take this As we wrap up here, expect God's word to lead you to be honest in your suffering. Just that for tonight. Expect God's word to lead you to be honest in your suffering. Honesty that faces God. I'm struggling. I am struggling. But I'm also seeing Jesus. I'm struggling, but I'm also seeing Jesus. Two two things about this. Um, Jesus knows just what to do with the evil within you. Are you confident of that? He knows just what to do with the evil that is in your heart. He's not shocked by it. He's not repulsed by it. You might be, but he's not repulsed by it. He is the great physician who is drawn to you instead in your humble repentance. I am here uh, to carry that burden and to free you from it. That's what your master is saying to you. 
I, I'm here uh, to, to carry that burden and to free you from it. So you can be honest. You do not need to hide. You do not, like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, I really appreciate Rich's comment about, about the freedom that we have as those who are under, uh, under uh, God's grace and, and, and people of faith, that it actually gives us greater freedom to be able to repent of our sin because we're rooted and grounded in, in Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. The second thing then is, God and Jesus not only knows what to do with the evil that's in us, he is also well aware of the suffering you endure on the outside. He's well aware of that. Um, the righteous sufferer is with you in your suffering. We are drawn, I am drawn, I suspect you might be as well, to these verses from First uh, Peter chapter 2. When reviled, he didn't give it back. When reviled, he did not repay it, but he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He gives you courage. And there is simply never a time when obeying God is impossible. You look to Him. You've got His mercy. You look to Him. He is united with you and you with Him in your suffering. He has given you your, your, the Spirit. And there is never a time when, you, when obedience for you is impossible. That's what we find from Psalm 119. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we thank you for the beauty of your word. Um, we thank you for the beauty of our Savior and the beauty of the Spirit, the beauty of your, um, of your word. Um, holy, holy, holy. Um, draw us more and more uh, to be people who are patient and reading even this passage, allowing it to speak deeply to us about who you are and to be honest with our own struggles so that um, we may be able to speak wisely as we say, help me here, and as you do so. We thank you for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. How shall the young direct their way? Hutch.